European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 38. Focus Issue, Interventional Cardiology. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. The growing non-pharmacological armamentarium for the treatment of cardiovascular diseases. From drug-coated balloons to drug-eluting stents, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation and stem cells. This issue begins with the special article ESC Core Curriculum for the Cardiologist by Felix Tanner from the University Hospital Zurich in Switzerland and his colleagues. This document reflects contemporary and emerging requirements for the practice of cardiology and the resulting training needs. The changing nature of the profession and the changing environment of healthcare shaped this update of the previous version. The core curriculum was written over the last two years in an iterative process involving over 80 representatives from the ESC and the UEMS, including education experts, speciality and subspeciality trainers, trainees and patients. Their views, opinions and comments were captured in the process, employing online Delphi surveys, in-person discussions in small groups, meetings including the 6th and 7th ESC Education Conference, and high-level meetings with ESC and UEMS. The issue continues with a focus on interventional cardiology. In a current opinion manuscript entitled How to Shape the Future of Cardiology and Cardiac Surgery, Gilles Dreyfus from the Institut Mutualiste Montsouris in Paris, France, and colleagues correctly point out that interventional cardiology and cardiac surgery have tremendously evolved mostly in the last decade. Such progress has solved many difficult medical issues, but also raises concerns. The authors ask themselves what the place of cardiac surgery will be going forward, and how junior surgeons will be trained to become proficient. Some concepts are used daily, such as the heart team. Other issues, such as education and training, are equally important, but rarely actively discussed. Dreyfus and colleagues examined a number of important questions and note that the bottom line is that cardiac surgery and interventional cardiology need to be harmonised and interact for the sake of the patient. Although interventional cardiology is a branch of cardiology that deals specifically with catheter-based treatment of cardiovascular disease, a broader definition might also include cell-based therapies, first because the latter are not pharmacological therapies, Second, because catheters are frequently used for their delivery. In 2006, the Task Force of the European Society of Cardiology published its consensus document on the use of autologous cell therapy for repair of the heart. Since then, there have been numerous clinical trials and analyses performed to establish the role of autologous cell therapy in the treatment of both acute and chronic cardiac disease, with on the one hand some disappointing results on the other hand, the hope that cell-based therapies will not forever remain the therapies of the future. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled The Effects of Intracoronary Infusion of Bone Marrow-Derived Mononuclear Cells on All-Cause Mortality in Acute Myocardial Infarction, the BAMI trial, Anthony Mather from the Queen Mary University of London in the United Kingdom and his colleagues from the BAMI group suggest that the BAMI trial was originally an open-labeled multicenter phase 3 trial designed to demonstrate the safety and efficacy of intracoronary infusion 
of BMMNCs in reducing the time to all-cause mortality in patients with reduced left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, less than or equal to 45%, after primary angioplasty, or PPCI, for ST elevation acute myocardial infarction, or AMI. Unexpectedly low recruitment means the trial no longer qualifies as a hypothesis testing trial, but instead an observational study with no definitive conclusions possible from statistical analysis. A total of 375 patients were recruited. 185 patients were randomized to the treatment arm, that being intracoronary infusion of BM-MNCs 2 to 8 days after PPCI, and 190 patients to the control arm, that being optical medical therapy. All-cause mortality at two years was 3.3% in the BM-MNC group and 3.8% in the control group. In addition, five patients, 2.7%, in the BM-MNC group and 15 patients, 8.1%, in the control group were hospitalised for heart failure during two years of follow-up. Neither adverse events nor serious adverse events differed between the groups, although no patients were hospitalised for stroke in the control group, while four patients, 2.2%, were hospitalised for stroke in the BM-MNC group. Mather and colleagues conclude that although BAMI is the largest trial of autologous cell-based therapy in the treatment of AMI, unexpectedly low recruitment and event rates preclude any meaningful group comparisons and interpretations of the observed results. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Roberto Bulli from the University of Louisville in Kentucky, USA, who believes that BAMI is probably the last large-scale study of cell therapy in acute MI, although he also believes that it is not the end of cell therapy for heart disease. Rigorous clinical trials, some of which are ongoing, are needed to reach a verdict on cell therapy in heart failure and refractory angina. While instant restenosis or ISR represents the most common cause of treatment failure after percutaneous coronary intervention, consensus is lacking regarding the best treatment for ISR. In a clinical research article entitled Baclitaxel-coated balloon angioplasty versus drug-eluting stenting for treatment of coronary instant restenosis, a comprehensive collaborative individual patient data meta-analysis of 10 randomized clinical trials, the Daedalus study. Daniele Jacopo from the Deutsches Herzzentrum München in Germany and colleagues note that the two most effective treatments are angioplasty with paclitaxel-coated balloon, or PCB, and repeat stenting with drug-eluting stents, or DES. Individual trials were not statistically powered for clinical endpoints. Results were heterogeneous, and evidence about comparative efficacy and safety in relevant subsets was limited. The Daedalus study was a comprehensive, investigator-initiated, collaborative, individual patient data meta-analysis, comparing angioplasty with PCB alone versus repeat stenting with DES alone for the treatment of coronary ISR. All 10 available randomized clinical trials were included, with about 2,000 patients enrolled. At three years follow-up, PCB was associated with a significant increase in the risk of TLR compared with DES, hazard ratio 1.32. There was a significant interaction between treatment effect 
and type of restenosis stent, P equaling 0.029, with a more marked difference in patients with DES instent restenosis and comparable effects in patients with bare metal stent ISR. Furthermore, a pre-specified subgroup analysis indicated a significant interaction between treatment effects and type of DES used to treat ISR, P equaling 0.033, with a significantly lower incidence of events associated with PCB compared with first-generation DES, and no difference between PCB and second-generation DES. A three-year follow-up, the primary safety endpoint of all-cause death, myocardial infarction, or target lesion thrombosis, was comparable between treatments. The authors conclude that in patients with coronary ISR, repeat stenting with DES is moderately more effective than angioplasty with PCB at reducing the need for TLR at three years. The rates of safety events, including all-cause mortality, were not different between groups. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Alexandra Jane Lansky and colleagues from the Yale School of Medicine, who conclude that the study by Jacopo et al. enhances our understanding of the role of PCB in the treatment of ISR by providing a risk-benefit analysis and providing assurance on their safety when DES are not the best choice. Drug-eluting devices, or DED, represent a well-established therapy being widely used for endovascular revascularization, or EVR, of peripheral vessels. Yet recent data indicates a twofold increased long-term mortality in patients treated with paclitaxel-based DED. In a clinical research article, mortality after use of paclitaxel-based devices in peripheral arteries, a real-world safety analysis. Eva Freisinger and colleagues from the University Hospital in Münster, Germany, suggest that the subsequent safety concerns affected international regulatory authorities to enunciate several alerts for further application of DED. In 9.2 million insurance of the German Barmer Health Insurance, data on the application of paclitaxel-based drug-eluting stents, or DES, and drug-coated balloons, or DCB, were retrieved from their introduction on the market in 2007 until present. All patients with first EVR between 2007 and 2015 were indexed and followed until the end of 2017. Each subsequently applied DES, DCB, bare metal stent and uncoated balloon was included in further analyses. Multivariable Cox regression analysis considered potential non-linear time-dependent hazard ratios of DES and DCB over 11 years. Freisinger and colleagues identified about 65,000 patients who underwent EVR procedures using about 23,000 DED. Multivariable Cox regression analysis showed no hazardous paclitaxel effects for DES on long-term mortality for over 11 years past application. The authors conclude that their real-world analysis showed no evidence for increased mortality associated with paclitaxel-based DED for over 11 years. The authors also note that these findings illustrate that health claims data represents an effective approach to assess patient safety without undue delay. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Iris Baumgartner from the University of Bern in Switzerland and colleagues.
Among various points, they note that the more robust follow-up, event adjudication, and stringent endpoint definition will reduce the risk of future controversies. Failure to understand statistical aspects of survival analyses could lead to grossly erroneous results from perfectly well-conducted studies and meta-analyses. In a clinical research article entitled Validation of High Bleeding Risk Criteria and Definition as proposed by the Academic Research Consortium for High Bleeding Risk, Marco Valgimili from the University of Bern in Switzerland and colleagues aim to validate the set of clinical and biochemical criteria proposed by the Academic Research Consortium, or ARC, for the identification of high bleeding risk, or HBR, patients. These criteria were categorized into major and minor if expected to carry in isolation respectively greater than or equal to 4% and less than 4% bleeding academic research consortium or BARC 3 or 4 bleeding risk within one year after percutaneous coronary intervention or PCI. HBR patients are those meeting at least one major or two minor criteria. All patients undergoing PCI at Bern University Hospital between February 2009 and September 2018, were prospectively entered into the BAN PCI registry. Age, hemoglobin, platelet count, creatinine and use of oral anticoagulation were prospectively collected, while the remaining HBR criteria, except for planned surgery, were retrospectively adjudicated. A total of about 16,500 participants with complete ARC-HBR criteria were included. After assigning one point to each major and 0.5 points to each minor criterion, the authors observed for every 0.5 score increase a stepwise augmentation of BARC3 or 5 bleeding rates at one year, ranging from 1.9% to 18%. The authors conclude that all major and the majority of minor ARC-HBR criteria identify in isolation patients at HBR. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Magnus Orman from the Duke University Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina, USA, and colleagues, who note that Valjamili and colleagues should be congratulated for having validated the best definition for the assessment of patients at HBR. In a clinical review article entitled Prevention and Treatment of Pulmonary Congestion in Patients Undergoing Veno-Arterial Extracorporeal Membrane Oxygenation for Cardiogenic Shock. Enzo Lusebrink from the Medizinische Klinik Einer Großharden in Munich, Germany, and colleagues note that cardiogenic shock is still a major driver of mortality on intensive care units and complicates around 10% of acute coronary syndromes, with contemporary mortality rates up to 50%. In the meantime, percutaneous circulatory support devices, in particular venoarterial extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, or VA ECMO, have emerged as an established salvage intervention for patients in cardiogenic shock. VA ECMO provides temporary circulatory support until other treatments are effective and enables recovery or serves as a bridge to ventricular assist devices, heart transplantation, or decision making. In this critical care perspective, the authors provide a concise overview of VA ECMO utilization in cardiogenic shock, considering rationale, critical care management, as well as weaning aspects. 
They supplement previous literature by focusing on therapeutic issues related to the vicious cycle of retrograde aortic ECMO flow, increased left ventricular, or LV, afterload, insufficient LV unloading, and severe pulmonary congestion limiting prognosis in a relevant proportion of patients receiving VA ECMO treatment. Lucebrink and colleagues outline different modifications in percutaneous mechanical circulatory support to meet this challenge. Besides a strategy of running ECMO at lowest possible flow rates, novel therapeutic options include the combination of VA ECMO with percutaneous microaxial pumps or implementation of veno-arterio-venous ECMO configuration based on an additional venous cannula supplying towards pulmonary circulation, are most promising among LV unloading and venting strategies. The latter may even combine the advantages of veno-venous and veno-arterial ECMO therapy, providing potent respiratory and circulatory support at the same time. However, whether VA ECMO can reduce mortality has to be evaluated in the urgently needed ongoing prospective randomized studies, Euroshock, NCT 03813134, ANCA, NCT 04184635, and ECLS Shock, NCT 03637205. These studies will provide the opportunity to investigate indications, mode, and effect of LV unloading in dedicated sub-analyses. In future, the heart teams should aim at conducting a dedicated randomized trial comparing VA ECMO support with versus without LV unloading strategies in patients with cardiogenic shock. This issue was also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a contribution entitled One versus Two Stent Strategy for Bifurcation Lesions the Eternal Saga. Antonio Mangieri from the Maria Cecilia Hospital GVM Care and Research in Italy and colleagues comment on the recent publication entitled Multicenter Randomized Comparison of Two-Stent and Provisional Stenting Techniques in Patients with Complex Coronary Bifurcation Lesions, the Definition 2 trial by Junji Zhang from the Nanjing Medical University in China. Xiaoleng Cheng and colleagues respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.